Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. This is episode 42. On today's episode, Brooke and Mike are joined by Nicholas Job of Our Lady's Armory to discuss his journey to the traditional Latin Mass, devotion to Our Lady through the Most Holy Rosary, and how Our Lady aids men to grow in virtue and holiness. So come on in, pour yourself a glass, and take a seat. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast. I am joined with my co-host. And husband. And husband. Yep. (laughs) And we are spending an evening with Nicholas Job from Our Lady's Armory. We uh, share a mutual friend, David Rummelhoff, which uh, we interviewed not too long ago. Somehow I managed to convince him to play D&D with us. That was fun. You got to be careful who you say that around. (laughs) How about the internet? Is that... uh... (laughs) Oh. I guess we're not being careful. <laughs> we're going to bring back the satanic panic from the 80s. Yep. Oh, gosh. oh, no, they play D&D. <laughs> Jack Chick is going to find out. Next thing you know, the whole South will be in arms against us. <laughs> By oh, the no. South, you mean? The South of Merca. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I got to ask you a question. And this is uh, very, very important. From where you're from, are you familiar with Cincinnati spaghetti. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so this is basically spaghetti noodles with chili on top of it, correct? For the listener. That's correct. Correct. He's from Cincinnati. (laughs) Yes. Well, yes and no. I'm from Dayton, which is about an hour north of Cincinnati, and uh, moved here almost four years ago. So, but yes, growing up not too far from Cincinnati, I'm I'm very familiar with uh, a lot of the food and culture surrounding that food. Spaghetti noodles topped with chili and put cheese and oyster crackers and just about anything that you would put on chili, you would put on this spaghetti concoction. Okay, follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Do you like ketchup? I don't dislike ketchup. Okay, would you put ketchup on spaghetti? Um, probably not. I, I feel as though... Pasta of the caliber of spaghetti deserves something finer than ketchup. <laughs> there sure are, there are there are myriad other tomato-based sauces that one could put on spaghetti that are not ketchup. So, so you're saying you you wouldn't put ketchup on Cincinnati-style spaghetti? It, it sounds pretty basic. So yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely basic. Um, another follow-up question, and this one's dedicated. To Chris, what do you think the canonical penalty should be for putting ketchup on a spaghetti sauce? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so where I'm from, and I just said I'm not from here, but uh, in Cincinnati, there's, uh, there's a tradition of um, climbing the steps at Mount Adams. There's a church up at the top of the hill. There's, there's a lot of hills in Cincinnati. And uh, there's a church at the top of the hill that penitents will climb up the steps of this hill on their knees during Lent. And uh, I think that that would be an appropriate canonical (laughs) penance for um, indulging in such a disgrace. (laughs) Now, now I make homemade pasta sauce. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I pride myself in it, like, it's wholesome, it's delicious. I've, I've basically got it down to an art. And, uh, And it's not ketchup. It's not ketchup. But Without naming any names, Chris will put ketchup on spaghetti, even if there's already beautiful marinara sauce. It makes us cry. It makes us cry. He was convinced that perhaps there was a chance that uh, someone from Cincinnati who ate Cincinnati-style <laughs> spaghetti would say, oh, yeah, ketchup would be fine on said dish. I never said I ate Cincinnati spaghetti or Cincinnati chili. But <laughs> yeah, I am just familiar knows what with it. it is. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, I. Uh, that's not something I partake in, even, <laughs> even without ketchup. <laughs> I don't know. I think your proposed penalty was pretty lenient, but okay. All right, Chris, you have your penance. Go do it. Yeah, and stop putting ketchup on my spaghetti. We call it penny spaghetti. We love you, Chris. Please stop hurting yourself and us. <laughs> so uh, let's get right into this. 
Could you uh, share a little bit about yourself with, with us and the listeners? We, uh, Mike and I both know that you're in the business of uh, making rosaries and uh, what I consider proper Catholic accessories. How'd you get yeah. into that? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd be happy to, to tell that story. This all started in uh, 2015. We, my, my wife and I, who were just courting at the time, uh, had been talking about marriage and the possibility of marriage. And um, I knew that I wanted to do something a bit more unique for her than just give her an engagement ring to propose. I thought, well, what could be better than, uh, than a, a custom rosary? So I went looking for one and really wasn't anything that caught my eye, caught my attention as something that really captured her personality and her essence. So I decided I'll just make one. My sister, uh, my older sister does a lot of crafting and, and she had some experience to, to help share with me about how to, how to string beads together and how to source materials and things like that. So went out and bought the parts, bought the tools and made a rosary to propose with a ring too. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> do this without a ring. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I made my first rosary that way in uh, summer of 2015. Uh, she said yes, obviously. And um, afterwards, I still had the parts and everything, you know, leftover parts and, and the tools from it and realized I want a rosary now too. I, I want something meaningful for me. You know, all the rosaries that I had looked for in the shops, 99% of them were either very, very feminine mm -hmm. or very cheap and plastic or very obviously said made in China or something like that. Mm-hmm decided to make a rosary for myself and, and thought, you know, I, I could keep doing this. And so I did. And I, I, start, I opened up my, uh, my shop on Etsy on uh, October 7th, Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, 2015, and um, just shared it with family and friends and it started to take off. So here I am almost four and a half years later and uh, I've had, I don't know, a thousand or more orders across oh, all wow. the platforms I work on. Um, I've gone to multiple events. I've expanded from chain link rosaries with gemstones and glass beads to paracord rosaries and combat rosaries. I do chain mail. Um, I do Catholic cufflinks and tie bars, fridge magnets, vinyl stickers, you name it. I guess in a nutshell, the, the whole point and purpose behind all of this was to craft something meaningful and durable and long lasting that you couldn't get in any shop that really has, you know, a, a sense of of uh, personality to it. And and really, you know, like I said, since so many of these rosaries were pretty feminine styles, I wanted something more masculine because I thought if I'm having trouble finding a manly rosary, I bet most of the other men out there looking for a Catholic rosary are also having that difficulty. So that's my primary audience is, mm -hmm. um, is other Catholic men. Um, but of course I make for, for women too, and women have men in their lives to buy for. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where Our Lady's Armory came from, and uh, hopefully the, the the purpose behind all of that is evident in the name of the shop alone. I uh, I wanted to ask you about um, there was this whole uh, Twitter uproar or debate recently about feminine and masculine rosaries. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you are on Twitter much, but did you see any of that? I am not on Twitter. I, I have a profile on Twitter, but I, I never use it. I, I used it pretty extensively a while back, but I, really the only thing keeping me from deleting the whole thing is just laziness. I seem to recall seeing some things recently about masculine spiritualities and feminine spiritualities, and there's, there seems to be some debate uh, in certain circles about how legitimate those different expressions are. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that that's come up with rosaries. But can you can you fill me in a little bit more about what that was about? It was an ad for a online shop that makes rosaries. It wasn't your shop, but it was, I think it was one named after St. Maximilian Colby. And they had an ad that said something like, men don't settle for a feminine rosary, get one of our manly rosaries. You know, some lady... Uh, screenshot of this ad and was just like catholic men what's going on like can't you guys just pray the rosary and blah 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 i was surprised how many catholics on twitter were like yeah what the heck that's offensive and stuff <laughs> and then people were hitting back it was a big argument as an aside the lady that started the whole argument wasn't even catholic she was actually a protestant woman priest 
Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that made me even more surprised how many Catholics were like, oh, yeah, she's right about how we should pray the rosary and stuff. <laughs> she clearly knows all about how the distinction between male and female should work. Yeah. Protestant priestess. But yeah, I think that's very, very true on social media that, you know, if somebody has a strong opinion or a strong advertisement or something, as soon as somebody comes out with a contrary opinion, everybody wants to jump on that bandwagon. Mm. You know, they want to yep. be the firebrand. They want, you know, because they want to be right and yeah. whatever it might be. But yeah, sure, there's some truth to that. You can pray the rosary on a feminine rosary, you can pray the rosary on your fingers uh, mm -hmm. if, if you have two hands. And if one of your hands has caused you to sin, and if you've already cut it off, you can pray the rosary on one hand by just counting on your five fingers twice. So really, you know, there's any number of things in the natural world around us that you can count up to 10, which, by the way, I think if Jesus had intended for us to use the metric system, he would have had 10 apostles. But that's another story entirely. <laughs> um, okay, them, them's but, fighting words. <laughs> but no, I mean, like I said, I, there's... Yes, there's some truth to that. You you can pray the rosary on anything that will help you count towards your 10 Hail Marys for, for each decade. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's just an aid. You know, the physical rosary itself is not the rosary itself. The rosary is the prayers. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there's definitely something to be said about what is attractive to the senses. And those things are different for men and for women. Basically, what I'm saying is men and women find different things attractive for different reasons. And so if you have a rosary in front of you that is not attractive to you, I think you'll be less inclined to pick it up and use it than if you have one that means something to you. Right. It's not to say you can't pray with, you know, a rosary that isn't like matched to you specifically, but just that it's better to have the encouragement rather than discouragement, right? Right. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of right. what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I, I do pray with a, a very feminine rosary from time to time. It's one that I made for my grandmother before she passed. And so that rosary holds a lot of sentimental value to me. So it's, it's not just about the physical properties of the rosary that make it attractive or not attractive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a whole lot that goes into it beyond just what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I think that was worth mentioning that's not really a masculine feminine thing but you mentioned all the maiden quality the opposite of that made in china <laughs> made without quality. <laughs> <laughs> i think especially when it comes to something like a sacramental there's an element of i don't know worthiness i guess for something that's to be dedicated to be used for prayer mm -hmm. um, yes it's not just a commercial product it's it's an aid it's a mm. i don't want to say tool but um yeah well, it is, in a sense. Yeah. yeah. But it's, yeah, something that's blessed and set aside for God, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of analogous to how a church should be beautiful and all the uh, things used at Mass and stuff like that should be beautiful and worthy of yeah. what they're used for mm -hmm. in a, in a lesser way than those, but in the same sense. Mm -hmm. right? A rosary yeah. should be beautiful and well-made, ideally. Right. And I think that's kind of like the difference between praying the hours on a smartphone versus praying from a breviary. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's all different ways you can pray the hours and it's not going to be, it's not like you didn't pray them if you pray them from your smartphone. There's, there's times and contexts in which that's perfectly appropriate. But, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you're walking into the chapel from the rectory and you're the parish priest <laughs> and you pull out your smartphone to pray the office and your parishioners see you, what is that? What, what kind of message does that broadcast yeah. you know, when there's a perfectly good set of bravery books sitting on, you know, on the table in the sacristy or whatever? Yeah, it's like a missed opportunity to witness there, right? yeah. yeah, potentially. I'll say a quick story because what you said made me think of it. Last year, so my grandmother passed away, and uh, she was very much dedicated to praying her rosary, you know, every day. And everybody in the family knew that she was always praying for you and... You know, if you had something going on, like a test, or she would say that she would pray for you. So when she passed away, I I took the roses from the the bouquet that were on her casket. I dried them and I made beads with clay and the and the rose petals. And how many did I make? I think I made fifteen rosaries and I gave them to all of her children. 
and she had seven children because I wanted them to carry on the act of praying the rosary because now that she's gone, we need to pray for her. Yeah. And someone has to carry on the mm-hmm. legacy of praying for the family, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just That's because beautiful. just because she is she's passed, we we now have a I don't want to say a job, but a duty in a sense to pray for those loved ones that have passed away. And yeah, when you when you brought up the rosary that your grandmother that you had made your grandmother, it made me think of uh, that similar experience. I mean, yeah. I, I I I some I look back and I'm going, oh dear, maybe these are going to be pretty horrendous looking in you know ten years, but uh, but I hope they aren't because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the purpose of them was to encourage the family to to pray the rosary if they haven't already started, but to yeah. also continue that and, and, and do it for her and pray for her. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Could uh, Do you have a story about how you came into the faith? Have you always been a Catholic? Or Yeah, um, I've been a Catholic all my life. Uh, I went to Catholic school K through 12. I went to a secular college and uh, I'm at a, well, nominally Catholic at least, university for my master's degree right now. Yeah, it I, I wouldn't say that there was ever a point that I fell away or reverted or there, there was no grand, you know, opening of the clouds or anything like that kind of moment for me in my life. But I can definitely look back and see just the gradual development of the faith in for myself and for my entire family. I'm, I'm the second of six. And uh, when I was very young, we, we didn't go to Mass every Sunday, but we tried to. I know that I was, uh, I think I was almost 14 months old when I was baptized, which by, by our standards today, you know, that's, that's pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank and God by nothing happened to me. standards too. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we would, we'd go to mass most Sundays, but not every Sunday. And I remember maybe around age four or five, we, we saw the parish priest walking down the sidewalk after mass. And I asked my parents, is that God? And everybody had a hearty laugh, but I didn't understand why they were laughing because it was an honest question from a from a four-year-old. Over time, you know, we started to say grace before meals and we were going to mass every Sunday and I started serving at the altar in fifth grade. At that time, it was common for school children to serve starting in sixth or seventh. And so it was a little unusual that a fifth grader was going up there. I think maybe that would be the moment that, or the 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 thing in my life that that really started to open things up for me was serving the mass. It felt dignified and it felt set apart, felt like a deeper and more mysterious way to participate in the faith. And I I don't know that I can put it into words very succinctly right now uh, without giving it a lot of thought, but I served for a very long time from fifth grade all the way through college. I was serving Sunday mass or daily mass uh, at the, the chapel on campus. Yeah, it's just been just kind of gradually growing and learning and falling and getting back up and mm-hmm. coming to appreciate all of the the beauty and the richness that we have in the Catholic tradition. Cool. Recently, uh, from what I understand, is you started attending the uh, traditional Latin Mass. Is that correct? Yeah, I uh, actually attended my first one in high school. I was the kid that didn't want to take Spanish or French in high school because that's what everybody else was doing. So I took Latin. Okay. At that time, the priestly fraternity of St. Peter had just started offering Latin mass within the last year or two uh-huh. at my parish. And I didn't realize it. Um, it was it was very quiet. It wasn't advertised, at least not in any way that I knew about. But somehow my Latin teacher found out about it and he organized a field trip for us. And so we went out, and it was my sophomore year of high school, going to low mass for the first time. And I was totally lost, mm. but loved it, absolutely loved it, and went back, I don't know, months or maybe a year or two later. It was, it was a long time before I was able to get back again. Eventually, that community was given their own parish in Dayton, and I started attending there pretty regularly. When I started my graduate program, Elizabeth and I would go to low mass on Friday mornings. And uh, and then we would go to Panera for breakfast afterwards. <laughs> and since we've been married, we attend, mostly attend a Novus Ordo parish near us. But the last few weeks, we've been going to a, a Latin parish uh, just over the river. And it's just, yeah, you can't, you can't come anywhere close to the, the beauty and the mystery, I think, mm-hmm. that's in that mass. Yeah. Whether it's low mass or high mass or solemn high or 
I've never been to a pontifical before, but I would love the opportunity. Um, I got to go to one. <laughs> oh, man. Cardinal Burke. Oh, even better. Yeah. Envy right here. Um, but each one of those different kinds of, of the extraordinary form is just so, so rich. You yeah. Know, if you just read the descriptions, it's like, oh, well, this one is just the same as this one, but they sing and they add more candles. It's like, well, yeah, but there's, there's a lot more that you can that you can pull from that there's a lot more opportunity to experience the mass in different ways whether you're experiencing just the almost total silence of the prayers at low mass or whether you're experiencing the uplifting angelic choruses of the high mass you know there, there's there's just such richness and so much to unpack mm-hmm. in that liturgy yeah it's definitely a favorite of mine we've realized a lot of that over like the few years that we've been going to the latin mass every sunday but also even just doing the last few podcasts where we're doing this liturgical breakdown series and we've been going through the novus ordo traditional latin mass and eastern divine liturgy and just comparing the prayers and rites piece by piece noticing so many more little just little beautiful pieces. Yeah. It just feels like there's so much more depth to uh, discover there still Mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. We kind of went on like Catholic overload first year that we were married. We would, Mm -hmm. there's no way that we would be able to do this now with a, with an 18 month old, but for Triduum that year on Holy Thursday, we went to a Dominican parish near us, and that was the parish that we belonged to at the time. It was Novus Ordo, but it was it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. A unicorn? Yes, <laughs> it, it was. It was a unicorn. <laughs> <It was> that <laughs> that very very rare, reverent, yeah. beautiful, flawless Novus Ordo. Yep. In the vernacular, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, the Holy Thursday liturgy is one of the most beautiful in in the year, anyway. Mm-hmm. So we went there, and then Friday that year happened to be Good Friday, March twenty fifth. Uh, which typically is uh, the solemnity of the Annunciation, right? Mm. But when it falls on Good Friday in the Western Church, it gets transferred. So we Latins didn't celebrate Annunciation until like a week after Easter or something. But in the Eastern traditions, they don't move that feast. And so there was a there's a, a Byzantine church up in Columbus uh, that celebrated uh, Divine Liturgy for Good Friday and the Annunciation wow. like, mm-hmm. at the same time. So it was like a dual mass. Whoa. So we did, like, we did the Novus Ordo on Thursday night. We drove all the way up to Columbus uh, while fasting all day. We did the Black Fast that day oh, gosh. Um, and went to that liturgy, which was like three hours long, mm-hmm. and then came back. And then Saturday night, we went to the Easter Vigil at a Latin Mass parish. It started at like 1130 or midnight or something. And the church was in total darkness for the first two hours because they did all of the lessons <laughs> oh, <laughs> before, wow. you know, yeah. before getting to the Gloria and turning all the lights on and everything. And yeah. So we didn't get home till like three thirty or four in the morning. Oh, oh my goodness! Um, yeah. But it was it was like it was this whole experience of like the the liturgical gamut. Of, yeah. You know, you had Novus Ordo and Divine Liturgy, and and not just the Divine Liturgy, but like the Divine Liturgy of Divine Liturgies. Yeah. And then Holy Saturday Easter Vigil Mass all in a span of three days. Oh, wow. It was <laughs> That would be very, very was, hard with a 18-month-old. It was wild. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Speaking of Triduum, the one thing I, I really want to experience, but I haven't yet, is that, um, that pre-55 Triduum. They have that in, down in Detroit. At the Grotto? The, uh, no, not the Grotto. The uh, Institute of Christ the King does oh, it. Oh, okay. And Chris and Julie have gone to that, but we haven't got a chance to go. Yeah. I've heard that there's a lot different specifically in those, even compared to the 1962 Latin Mass that we're used to. Yeah, I've heard the same. I, I have a Baronius Press missile. I don't have uh, anything pre-1962 to look at, and I, I have never bothered to... Mm-hmm dive into those differences the holy week changes are are well known yeah <laughs> sphere, it seems like but i i don't know much about them yeah it's like the first uh the first strike of bunini but 
Whitney. Anyways, yeah. This is kind of like a little bit open-ended, so feel free to interpret the question as uh, you see fit. But um, we wanted to talk about the relationship of manliness and devotion to Our Lady in general. I know that um, it's something that for some people, I guess, on a surface level, doesn't have the... It might not have the appearance of being something masculine, I guess, especially in the sense that our culture likes to define manliness and stuff like that. But it's the Catholic Church in general has a much different view, right? We see all like our our male saints and stuff having great devotion to Our Lady, and we see it as something that's fitting for men. Is that something that you've kind of thought about or come to understand in in your life or struggled with at all? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. The the first thing that comes to mind is the example of the saints. Our our daughter's middle name is Immaculata in honor of St. Maximilian Kolbe and nice. in honor of Our Lady. Maximilian Kolbe had the most incredible devotion to Our Lady. You know, he founded the the Militia Immaculata, yep. um, which is still in operation to this day. I'm we're in both, it. We're both part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, sorry, I said about instead of a boat. Uh, <laughs> Didn't understand what you were saying there. <laughs> yeah, you need a you need a translator. It's a boot. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the the lives of the male saints. So many of them have had such a devotion to Our Lady and to the Rosary. You know, I think about Pius V, who instituted the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, which later became the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Because he asked members of the Holy League fleet to pray the rosary for victory at that battle, at the Battle of Lepanto, when mm. the Turkish fleet was, you know, ready to take over Europe, he had a devotion to Our Lady, and he inspired a devotion to Our Lady among, you know, however many tens of thousands of Christian soldiers were part of that. And I, I read, maybe about a year ago, in a, in a book called um, Ten Battles Every Catholic Should Know, Battle of Lepanto is in there. Mm-hmm. Of course, and is. I realized yeah. that. Uh, well, yeah, it's got a, a couple chapters actually. I didn't realize that there were. It, 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 this was not just a Christian fleet. It, it was not just a Catholic fleet. These were there were there were Protestants, there were Jews, there were Muslims who opposed the Ottoman Empire, who were part of the the sailing force on the Holy League ships, and many of them prayed the Rosary. Many of them went to confession and attended, participated at at, at Mass, and the battle was won. I think of John Paul II and and his great devotion to Our Lady, but I think ultimately uh, the best example there is is Christ. There there can be no better example of virtue, of strength, of manliness, if you want to put it that way, uh, mm-hmm. of virility, of integrity, of you know any any possible virtue that that you could think of and articulate. Christ possessed them in their fullness, mm-hmm. every single one of them. And he was totally devoted to his mother. You know, being a, a faithful and observant Jew, he would have observed all of the commandments. Commandment number four is honor your father and mother. And for 30 years of his life, he was obedient to Mary and Joseph in their home. So that, you know, we get, you know, when he was born and the last three years of his life, um, which is a, a very small amount over his 33 years here on earth, Mary and Joseph got him for 30. Mm-hmm. Um, they had him in their home without prying eyes of men and women in the 21st century for 30 full years where they were, they were totally devoted to each other. They were totally devoted to our Lord uh, in their mission. You know, I, I think if a man is struggling with the idea of Marian devotion as um, an expression of masculinity, I think... Christ is the perfect place to look for a role model, if that makes sense. Yeah, couldn't have said it better, really. Mm-hmm. I also got to mention, you know, St. Louis de Montfort and how much he uh, encourages everyone to be devoted to Our Lady, because it's through her that there is victory over over every sin and struggle and whatnot. And uh, what better way to approach Christ than with his mother 
there's this image that someone described me where, you know, you go up to Our Lady and, and she helps wipe your face and she helps wipe your tears and she leads you to her son. Like he's never going to turn away and push away from his mother. I think it's Scott Hahn uh, who has spoken or written pretty extensively about uh, the, the Gebi Ra, the, the queen mother of the Davidic kingdom. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, even when the kings of Israel had many wives, obviously there's going to be some competition among them, uh, uh, you know, who's, who's the king going to listen to? But there was only ever one mother of the king. And so people would know that if, if they wanted something from the king, they would go to his mother um, because she had his ear, you know, mm-hmm. above any other woman in his life. And she also yeah. held the uh, title of queen, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another image. I don't know where this one comes from. Maybe it's in, in Louis or, or one of the other saints. But we, we bring our, our gifts to the Lord, uh, to our king. Christ the king is, is my absolute favorite, 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 favorite devotion, favorite title of our Lord ever. But so we, we bring our gifts to the king and, you know, we're, we're just poor, simple farmers and we have a, a meager crop and, you know, it, it may not appear the best. There may be some worms crawling in it, you know, it may, may be kind of dirty. We're, we're bringing the first fruits to the Lord. And Mary steps in and she takes this crop and she cuts out the bad pieces and she arranges it on a silver platter mm-hmm. and, and presents this, this beautiful arrangement to the king on our behalf and i i love that image too of mary really interceding for us mm-hmm. uh, with- it, it reminded me of another um louis de montfort um expression i guess and <laughs> it's maybe it's kind of immature of me but i always liked it as like a dunk on the protestants um, but he, he talked about um this is in true devotion to mary he talks about how there's this expression of being um, slaves to Our Lady, which was considered offensive by uh, the Protestants. And he talks about how... And offensive um, by modern ears, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he talks about how if any foolish people are offended by it, then you have to explain that, of course, it's, um, it's truly um, being slaves to Jesus through Mary, but that it's so obvious it just kind of goes without saying... Unless you're talking to someone extremely foolish. <laughs> but it was, so, it was so funny how he put that. I'm sorry if anyone's listening and they were offended by this. I'm not calling you foolish. Blame St. Louis. Louis de Montfort. <laughs> um, that, that just made me laugh. <laughs> Anyways, total, total tangent. That's fine. We're all about that here. <laughs> I can't even like be reminded of that quote without just... Giggling. laughing at it so <laughs> it's so amusing anyway <laughs> so practically speaking maybe you guys can uh, enlighten me how does uh, devotion to our lady help men be men practically and spiritually or, or how it's helped you grow in um what would the word be virtue yeah masculinity um maturity yeah. i think i'll go back to graduate school beginning of graduate school for this, I had an opportunity to go to the SEEK conference in 2015. It was in Memphis that year. And I picked up a book called The Little Oratory from Sophia Institute Press. That book taught me a lot about how to build a, a prayer space at home. And I, I, was, I was totally into this. So I set up a space in my tiny little apartment on campus and uh, started putting up all these pictures and holy cards that I had gathered from Seek and from other places. And like 90% of them were Our Lady. And I gravitated to that space daily when I was struggling, when I was in over my head with my graduate schooling. And I was just, I was surrounded by pictures of Mary. That time in my life helped me cultivate a deeper appreciation for Our Lady's presence especially for her beauty. There's a, there's a quote from John Paul II that it is the, the dignity of every woman is the duty and the obligation of every man. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but this growing and deepening appreciation for Our Lady's beauty and 
dignity and her blessedness above all creation. At that point, I became aware that the church has proclaimed her to be the crown of all creation. You know, in the creation story, Eve was created last. And so Mary is a, is a fulfillment of what Eve was supposed to have been. So Mary truly is the crown of all creation. And so this, this experience helped to kind of draw out of me a, a deeper appreciation for all of the women in my life, for my own mother, for my sisters, for all the girl space friends uh, <laughs> that, I, that I had uh, around me. You know, it's, it's very, very easy in college especially to, uh, to kind of go along with the culture and to kind of slip into a mindset of objectification of, you know, other people exist to serve me. I'm looking out for myself. And that was kind of always in the back of my mind through college was this fighting against this. But it was, it was always kind of that. It was fighting against it. And this time in my life at which I developed such a deep appreciation for Our Lady and for her beauty it was no longer fighting against, but fighting for something good, recognizing the inherent dignity and the inherent beauty in everyone around me. That was, that was a time in my life when I referred to her very frequently as Mama Mary, and still do occasionally, but have to be careful who you say that around because <laughs> you run into some types who are like, oh, that's disrespectful and that's too intimate. And, you know, I remind them of, of scripture when, when Christ calls God the Father, Abba, Abba, right? Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's one example uh, in my own life of how devotion to Our Lady, I feel, has has helped me to grow in virtue and to cultivate a sense of virtue in my own life and how I see other people, how I interact with them. What about you, Mike? <laughs> I don't know if I have as profound of an example. I was thinking of a couple things, like on the theoretical side, you talked about the... Uh, the creation of man and woman and recall how the man's created first and God creates the woman Eve basically saying it's not good for the man to be alone and almost as if he's incomplete and not himself which I think is like in a very real sense as a human being as a male you don't really make sense without the female side of the human race mm -hmm. so you can't really be I think, uh, like fully a man or a good man anyway, without having a healthy interaction and relationship to women. The one, uh, like life moment I was thinking back to was when we did our, our consecration when we were dating. Do you remember that Brooke? Vaguely. We, uh, it's been a really long time. <laughs> yeah. It's been a few years. A few years. Uh, what? Like eight? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we did it together, the uh like Saint Louis de Montfort preparation and stuff. And yeah. we, we were reading true devotion to our lady together. It's hard to remember like specifics from back then, but it must have had an effect on <laughs> did our our relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was just like a I don't know, a shared goal. Yeah. Something that where both of us were, were looking towards and like willing to pray for each other to achieve holiness, asking Our Lady to help us to be holy, whether or not that was, you know, with us getting married or not. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was just like, this This is beyond us to dedicate our, ourselves to Our Lady. Like, we can't do anything without her. I guess the other thing is it's kind of like, you know, how with natural parents, how a child turns out or how a child grows up, it's hugely affected by having healthy relationship, relationships with both parents, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, imagine growing up and not knowing or having a relationship with your mother versus having that healthy relationship it's it has a lot of i think effects that are hard to pin down but kind of affect everything in your life so yeah i want to go back to something you said just a minute ago about um 
you know, learning how to have healthy relationships with women in your life. And I think that that is very, very true. Um, I think that how a boy treats his mother and as he grows up, how a man treats his mother mm -hmm. um, tells you everything about how he's going to treat his spouse. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so if, if you're a man who disrespects your mother, um, who doesn't give her the time of day, doesn't care for her as she ages, um, you know, all of those kinds of things, how, how will your spouse be able to reasonably expect that you'll treat her better? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think having a good relationship with Our Lady teaches us a lot about what it means to have a good relationship with, not just with other women or with, with women in our lives, but with other men. Mm -hmm. um, as as fellow sons of Our Lady as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that before. I wanted to ask your opinion on all the discussion around the various approved Marian apparitions and their kind of darker prophecies, like mm -hmm. um, things in like La Salette and Fatima that talk about like corruption in the church and stuff like that. And, you know, stuff in La Salette where it says like Rome will lose the faith and stuff like that, like really disturbing stuff. But that was part of um, like apparitions that were actually approved by the Vatican and stuff. Do you, think about that stuff or do you just kind of like i don't know try to carry on and not think too far above yourself i don't know how right. i often kind of struggle with how to respond to that kind of stuff well there's there's two things i want to say about it first i'm i'm not super familiar with the apparitions at la salette i'm familiar with lords and and fatima those are the two big ones that i'm that yeah. i know of i've heard of la salette before but i i don't know much about it it's not really talked about that much. I feel like it's only just that recently that yeah. people have, I mean, mm -hmm. Dr. Taylor Marshall kind of mentioned it. I was like, oh, this is a thing? Oh, I yeah. haven't heard of this. Everybody talks about Fatima a lot. So Yeah, it's a little older, I think. Yeah. And there's not as many um, miracles and stuff associated with the sight of it and stuff. So it doesn't mm -hmm. have as big of a, a following, yeah. but it is an approved Marian apparition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the first thing I want to say with, with that being in mind is that, in general, I believe that the Church has approved the apparitions that she has because there is something for us to learn and something for us to take from them. And you're right, they're not all happy-clappy, we're all going to heaven kind of stories. These are mm -hmm. um, these apparitions like... Um, you know, at, at Fatima, there's there are very, very clear and disturbing visions of hell mm -hmm. that are experienced by young children who apparently were, were so so frightened and terrified of, of this that you know they were they were forever changed um, by these visions, mm -hmm. uh, these apparitions. Yeah, with without again without getting into the specifics of each each one or, or knowing a whole lot about all of them, there is there's something behind those apparitions that we need to pay attention to. Now, whether you take them literally or metaphorically, um, you know, as, as you said, I think in La Salette, one of the apparitions was that Rome would lose the faith. I don't know anything about that one, but whether we take that literally, that uh, the Roman church will lose the faith, I personally find that one bordering on the impossible uh, simply because of the words given to us by Christ. I would agree with that. Like the entire Roman church can't lose the faith. <laughs> right. But on the other hand, is there a sense in which that could be metaphorically true? And what I mean by that is, is it possible that there would be such a massive falling away from the faith that could get into all levels of the church? Uh, we've had this before. This is not new. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the Arian heresy is a perfect example. Even the Pope was an Arian at that time. But or at the least church, very sympathetic to it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the church persisted. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you could say there is a possibility that this could literally happen. And what I mean by that is the seat of 
the papacy has not always been in Rome. God forbid World War III starts tomorrow and somebody bombs Vatican City, you know, what's, what's going to happen? The church will survive. The church will persist because Christ promised that it would. But if it gets nuked off the face of the earth, then, well, the church can't persist in Rome. Maybe they'll move back to, I don't know, Versailles or wherever. Yeah. somewhere over the mountains and we can be ultramontane again <laughs> um but no so that's that's the that's the first thing that i wanted to say about those and i'm i'm not a i'm not a theologian i'm not a canonist i'm not an expert in scriptural exegesis or prophecy or any of those kinds of things so i'm just a simple layman and so that that kind of dovetails into the second thing that i want to say is that we are living in an age where information is more easily accessible than at any other point in human history and so we can read everything about Fatima or Lourdes or La Salette or, you know, you name it over the course of a day or a weekend or whatever. Somebody living a hundred years ago, it would have taken ages for this kind of information to be disseminated among the faithful. Yeah, and even so, someone living when uh, La Salette or Lourdes or Fatima apparitions happened for right. it to spread across the world took a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I try to remind myself of that pretty often because there, there are a lot of things that can get discouraging and um, can lead you to despondency or despair if you let them. The important thing is, as has been the case throughout all of human history, what are the essentials? What's the most fundamental thing that we need to pay attention to? It's Christ mm -hmm. in the Eucharist. It's remaining faithful to the commandments of Holy Mother Church. And so, as I said, I, I'm not familiar with La Salette. And as far as I'm aware, the church doesn't say that you are required to, to express uh, a belief in these apparitions. The church only says these are approved apparitions. And so in that sense, there's no requirement, there's no binding on my conscience to pay attention to them. As, as callous as that may sound, it's important to remember that sometimes so as not to get discouraged. So yeah, to your point, keep your head down, keep the faith, pray your rosary, go to mass, go to confession, and work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Don't get caught up in the talking heads and, you know, the blogosphere and all of the things that are, yes, some of it may be helpful, and some of it may give you some things that will encourage you and help you to grow in your, your path of holiness, but that's not where you get your source and summit. That's not where mm -hmm. you get your grace from. Yeah, if it becomes um, if an anything, obsession, yeah. Yes. It can be yeah, it can exactly. be uh, can be dangerous. It can have the sure. total opposite effect. It could just lead you to anger and despair. Yeah, like right. really. There's a healthy way of looking at them, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you're not supposed to obsess about the doom and gloom to the point of losing hope and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's true what you said that just because an apparition is approved doesn't mean it's um necessarily true like infallibly it's just it's been approved as being worthy and not opposed to the faith but i think that's as far as the approval of the church goes for these things the one thing i think can be of value in seeing some of these like darker uh things talked about for the layperson is sometimes just thinking about the fact that this kind of thing is foreseen. If you see terrible things happening in the church or bad things being done by people in the hierarchy of the church, you can remind yourself that Our Lady has warned us that things like this are going to happen. And what has she told us to do about it? Mm -hmm primarily to keep the faith and pray the rosary the and rosary. stuff like that, right? Especially at Fatima, the rosary is like especially emphasized, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, things that could be described as something terrible like Rome losing the faith have happened before, as you said. I even think about, um, I think the, they call it the seculum obscurum or like the dark age of the papacy where there was like a string of really terrible popes in a row this is all around the year 1000 or so but there were like popes uh trying to set up successors and like having each other kidnapped and oh, you know selling the papacy <laughs> and then one one guy sold the papacy and then got it back same guy at this time you could easily have said that rome has lost the faith because 
these popes were obviously faithless men mm-hmm. and you know the church was in a really terrible place but um yeah it wasn't forever even yeah. though right it did last uh, quite a while it was not forever and in the grand scheme of the the church it's almost forgotten at this point in history mm-hmm. yeah i think you make a good point that you you can't let it distract you from what matters like living the faith and loving our lord and you know living out your state in life if you look at these prophecies and stuff like that you've got to look at it in a healthy way and prayerfully and use it to to your spiritual profit right it's mm-hmm. cool i liked your your answer a lot it's very wise Thanks. <laughs> i like to think well i don't like to think unfortunately what we've seen <laughs> you don't like to think uh-oh i hate thinking it's so much work uh, <laughs> we've kind of for intelligence uh, I think all of us have uh, grown up with a very similar experience with bad art, bad music, and for lack of a better definition, a sort of chicken soup for the soul and precious moments phenomenon that we've encountered in our faith life. There's been a big pushback against this happy, clappy, you know, flowery painted picture of Catholicism that we're seeing pushed with tradition. I think we're seeing more traditional-minded men standing up tall and taking on the uh, taking on the duty to protect traditional Catholicism and uh, protect and revive it. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to say on that, guys? Like uh, the field medics on the video game board of. Whatever I, I lost my <laughs> analogy in midstream there, but field hospital of the church. Yeah, if you, you take you that uh, analogy in its proper way and not an excuse for uh, sacrilegious communion. Yes, <laughs> your your use of the word revive made me think of that image. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good discussion. It's worth having, and um, I have it frequently with some friends of mine online from from college. They're also very traditionally minded. I, I want to preface this by saying I'm not a rad trad in the sense that, um, you know, the Novus Ordo is invalid and, you know. We hate you if you go to Novus we, Ordo. <laughs> we're not those people. Just kidding. Exactly. Chris and I, we're, uh, we're, uh, in the last podcast, because we were, like, um, sort of criticizing some very Novus Ordo, pro-Novus Ordo guys, we had to start off by saying we don't hate you and blah, blah, blah. And I would, I just summed it up as saying, we're not rad trads, we're dad trads. <laughs> I like that. There is definitely, in my own heart, a sense of, of loss when I go to a Latin Mass and uh, then when I go to a Novus Ordo after having attended a Latin Mass recently. I just, just shake my head and just think, how much have we, have we done away with? How mm-hmm. much have they, have they stripped from our churches? How much have they taken away from our patrimony? Mm-hmm. Yes, I said patrimony. I know that's an unpopular word. It's like patriarchy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Same root. But this is the mass that formed countless, well, not countless, 15, 16, 1700 years worth of saints yeah. in our church. Yeah. And yes, certainly the same can be said of, of the Eastern liturgies as well. Mm-hmm. But to go from that, once you've experienced that, and then to go back to, as, as Christ called them in while well, he was referring to people in the gospels but whitewashed tombs that's what a lot of modern churches feel like mm-hmm. to go yeah. back to that and sing something written for who knows what congregation or what sect because there's a few composers not i feel as though not many catholics know this there are some composers in our catholic hymnals that are not catholic and mm-hmm. have have written these hymns for any number of denominations um even Mm-hmm. Even non-Trinitarian ones, you know, uh, Unitarians and, and Church of God and whatever those other really far out ones are. They're using the same hymns, and that's, that's kind of frightening. You know, what does that say about our, our Christology, our ecclesiology? If we can assent to what's in these hymns the same as they can, despite, you know, an insurmountable doctrinal divide, well, that tells me that 
there's nothing of value in this hymn to begin with, really. Yay, we believe in God. Okay, which God? You know, because your God as a Unitarian is not the same as our Trinitarian God, one God in three persons. So we've gone, we've gone from 15 centuries of, of this tradition to suddenly just, we're just going to throw it all out. We're going to whitewash everything. We're going to replace the stained glass windows with, uh, with clear glass. We're going to write brand new hymns that anybody can use. It just makes me sad. And it, it, it breaks my heart to think about how this, this rich tradition developed organically over the life of the church. And we're just going to, we're just going to gut it. And it's, it's, yes, it's not just the mass. When we got rid of the rogation days, yeah. the ember day, yeah. um, I only <laughs> just found out about the ember days four or five years ago. I found out the, about the rogation days maybe two years ago. And only last year I found out that the, that the ember days are actually four or something. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, each, each set of ember days corresponds to a particular harvest. You know, mm-hmm. the grape harvest for the precious blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the wheat harvest for the Eucharist, these different things, and um, there's so much of that that's been lost, and so we're we're doing our very very small part in our family to to bring it back to recover those traditions yeah. because there there's such joy in them. There's you know? something there's, to be said about hard work. We discussed it like in a chat. The word effeminate. Mm-hmm. And it's been discussed on the podcast, too, is like yeah. not wanting to do hard work. In the sense that Aquinas used it distinct from yeah. femininity for any yeah. listeners who didn't hear the earlier podcast about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have a big gripe with that word because so many people use it without knowing uh, where it comes from and um, mm-hmm. how to use it properly. Yes, in English, etymologically, it does derive from the same root as female or feminine, but... That's kind of a sexist carryover uh, <laughs> from earlier English usage. In the original Latin, it did not have that connotation. The Latin word is molities. It means softness as, as a vice that opposes perseverance. And so there's people on the one side who use the word effeminate very liberally and anything they don't like is effeminate. And then there's the people in the pews who don't know what's going on. And they hear that and they think, Feminine is yeah. bad. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's not that's not what's being said here. Yeah, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right in the in the Thomistic sense of the word effeminate in our English language or mollis molities in in the Summa. This this vice of being soft or weak willed or weak tempered or mm-hmm. I think he describes it as as yielding under pressure. Yeah. That you don't you don't stand firm. You're not standing your ground. You're not courageous and strong. Yeah. In the as soon as you have to suffer for something, then you give up. That's mm-hmm. essentially right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do that so easily with fasting and with we have we have two days in the entire year that we're required to fast, and we whine about it. And yeah. is, it is it really fasting? Yeah, you, know, you can you can have three meals. It's just two of them have to be pretty small. Yeah, you're still going to eat. It's just going to be you know two snacks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Contrast that with what they did 200 years ago or 100 years ago. Or, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Taylor Marshall has a good one on his blog about um, Catholic Lent used to be tougher than Muslim Ramadan. Wasn't uh, it like no meat, no dairy? And mm-hmm. it, it had quite a few, um, it had quite a list of rules that, that you were to follow. And uh, it sounded yeah. like it was really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also abstaining from uh, marital relations and stuff. Yeah. Um, black fasts on yeah. Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the church has lost, well, not lost, but it's been kind of like pushed aside these opportunities for its, its children to grow strong. Because unless you flex those muscles and really deny yourselves those earthly pleasures and those, yeah, those those worldly things, and deny yourself, you you really can't get stronger. Mm-hmm. And by denying yourself, and by like going to Our Lady, so that she can prepare you and help you while you're doing those things, then that's really where not only women but Men obviously grow in virtue and holiness. Mm-hmm. It's by doing that hard work. And sometimes it can be hard to pick up your rosary and pray. I think I think we can all agree. You know, at the end of the day, you just lay in bed. Oh, no, I forgot to pray my rosary. 
how often have we experienced a time where we just kind of dismiss it and roll over and go to bed mm-hmm. or, you know, where we just forget about it. Like we don't, I don't think we've been there as parents yeah. where it seems like the, t- the task is so huge. If you're like, you know, short on sleep and yeah. <laughs> you get to the end of the day and, you know, Spending 15 minutes on the rosary just seems like a huge task, but the, uh, the fruits are, yeah. And the grace is there to help you through it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. St. Louis de Montfort says, if you say the rosary faithfully until, until death, I do assure you that in spite of the gravity of your sins, you shall receive a never fading crowd of glory. Even if you are on the brink of damnation, Even if you have one foot in hell, even if you have sold your soul to the devil as sorcerers do who practice black magic, and even if you are a heretic as obstinate as as a devil, sooner or later you will be converted and will amend your life and save your soul. If, and and mark well what I say, if you say the rosary devoutly every day until death, for the purpose of knowing the truth and abstaining contri- obtaining contrition and pardon for your sins. There you go. I don't remember who said it, but there's a there was a saint of the church that said, um, if, uh, if if you want to stop sinning, pray every day. Yeah. Um, one of two things will happen: you'll either stop sinning or you'll stop praying. Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you're praying every day, you're 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 going to be growing in holiness and and putting putting your vices and your sins behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, that grace is uh, is real. That comes from praying, especially uh, with devotion every day. Mm-hmm. Like God wants us to ask for that grace, and He will give that grace generously if we ask. Mm-hmm. And yeah, He'll give us the ability to overcome those vices that seem insurmountable mm-hmm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. And. If arming yourself with a rosary that best suits your drive, then do it. You missed the middle of that sentence. <laughs> Sometimes a word. <laughs> what was I going to say? If that helps you. Yeah, if, yeah. if that helps you, <laughs> yeah. then make it a priority. It's important. Every, every swordsman has a sword that he feels most confident with. Every soldier must be confident in his weapon, just as we must be confident in the rosary that we hold in our hand. May it be the rosary that we have on our deathbed, mm-hmm. you know, that is w- worn and and faded. There's something powerful about seeing those uh, those relics and rosaries that the saints went held where once held, where you know the the beads are are so smoothed and and whatnot because they were prayed so devoutly. Yeah, it's like. A sword that's covered in nicks and dents from from battle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, Nick, this was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank I'd you be so happy much. To come for... back on again. Yay! I unless you're lying to me and I was terrible. <laughs> no. In I... which case, I would definitely love to come back again and torment you a second time. <laughs> <laughs> teach us about opportunities the sin of to, lying, uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> opportunities to do some penance and, uh, and grow in holiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tolerating my, my rambling. No, no, this is great. I had a really great <laughs> okay. time. Yeah. So Thanks my, for coming on. Yeah. My pleasure. Awesome. So, and uh, invitation. I, ca- I can't wait to, uh, for Chris to hear about uh, your thoughts on uh, ketchup on spaghetti. Yeah, ketchup does not belong on spaghetti. I'm, I'm, I was about to say I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> Would wow. you try it? You've been talking to Canadians <laughs> for how long, and you're already just apologizing for everything. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Nick, where can uh, where can people reach you? Could you uh, drop your your website and your your stores here? Yeah, absolutely. So my um, apostolate, I guess, if you want to call it that, Our Lady's Armory, sturdy handcrafted gear for the battle-ready Catholic. You can find that at olarmory.com. For Canadian listeners, I spell that the American way. So it's 
O-L-A-R-M-O-R-Y. There's no U in Armory. So olarmory.com. Uh, I also have a shop at Peter's Square. That's how uh, David and I met was through Peter's Square. And David is how I found out about uh, this podcast. So shout out to David Rummelhoff for that. So you can find me there, olarmory.com and at Peter's Square as well. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. I will be at the E6 Catholic Men's Conference in Indiana at the end of February. If anybody uh, among your listeners is um, is in that ge- geographical area, I'll have a, a table there selling my rosaries and cufflinks and all kinds of other good stuff that I make. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> cool. And yeah, thanks uh, so much. if you enjoyed the podcast, you can look for us, uh, Theology of the Buddy, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, leave us a comment. Let us know uh, if you like the show or if you hated it. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. So uh, from all of us at Theology of the Buddy, stay Stay tratty. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. How has devotion to Our Lady influenced your Catholic faith? We'd love to know. Hit us up on Facebook and Instagram at Theology of the Buddy on Twitter at TradFriends, or email us at TheologyOfTheBuddy at gmail.com. Also, we would love for you to check out the great work of Nicholas Job over at Our Lady's Armory. You can check him out at olarmory.com. Hey, if you like what you heard today, we'd love for you to consider subscribing to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Would you also please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes? We greatly appreciate it as it helps us to get noticed within the larger podcast community. Next week, the gang's back together again for their next installment of the liturgical breakdown. New episodes are released every Wednesday. So until then, stay tratty.